Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Show. I'm your host, Jeremy Thake. The only show focused on Office 365 development, where I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. So before we get into this week's podcast with Scott, I wanted to just highlight a few more links that have happened in the last week since the last show. Uh, the first one is uh, Jeremy Chapman and his team in the Garage series have posted on YouTube the video that uh, myself and Jeremy did at the TechEd North America, um, where we talked about what's new, what's different, and what's better in the new app model for, for kind of Office 365. It lasts about 20 minutes, and we show a demo of a building an app for Office in in Outlook and um, coding it right from scratch on a new Visual Studio project and um, hopefully you find that useful. If you're not sick of my voice by now, you can get another 20 minutes kick this week by watching that. Um, please feel free to share that on the social networks because um, it's a great overview of, especially if you've come from a VSTO VBA or maybe a full trust code SharePoint world. Uh, and so that we found that that's already getting a lot of traction. So definitely check that one out. The second one um, is from Scott Hillier. Scott Hillier has written a post on IT Unity, which is starting to pick up some pace now um, as the kind of replacement or you know, a better alternative to what was known as nothing but SharePoint.com, which was a combination of SharePoint DevWiki, which is something that I started off with the community, and End Users SharePoint, which is something that Mark Miller started. So this is Dan Holm and a bunch of other people, including Scott Hillier and Andrew Connell. And um, Scott's just posted another article on there about managing tokens in SharePoint 2013 with single page apps in a provider hosted SharePoint app. Um, it's pretty cool. It's uh, using and, and talking about Azure ACS and handling those tokens and passing them around. So um, I'd encourage you guys to check out that. Um, it's a very u- useful kind of uh, way of understanding where the world's going in terms of these spars, as they call them, these single page apps. And Scott will talk about that a little bit more in the interview we do in a moment. The second or third, sorry, link there was uh, Kirk Evans, who consistently um, posts amazing articles around SharePoint uh, uh, development. He's been in the field for a long time. Um, he's just recently changed jobs where he's still in Microsoft and he's an architect in the Azure Center of Excellence. Um, so he's still doing a lot of stuff around SharePoint, but more specifically around provider hosted apps which, where they're running in Azure. And um, he wanted to kind of write down it depth around OAuth and trust and how you do things with non-Microsoft platforms around the JOT tokens and um, how you can configure those apps using PowerShell to um, handle that stuff. So definitely worth a read if you're looking at doing things with like PHP and Java and other languages, like maybe not on the stack. And the story is actually going to get a lot, be- lot better nearer the end of the year and I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you as we get closer to releasing that into Office 365. So please keep that in mind. You know, you don't have to be building on um, ASP.NET like you used to in the SharePoint world. You can still um, use our APIs, but you can code against any web application platform technology you like. And then lastly, uh, this World Partner Conference this week, there's been a fair bit of news out there. But I think from an Office 365 developer standpoint, the most exciting news, in my opinion, is that now there is this new Microsoft Cloud Solution Provider Program, which essentially helps partners move customers to the cloud. Um, and essentially, from a customer perspective, they receive one bill from you as a partner 
that includes your services, your software and licensing, as well as the billing of what's available inside Office 365. And eventually it will be Azure Dynamics CRM Online and many more products as well. So it's a really cool way of uh, partners being able to own and control the billing cycle and combine our products and services along with your own products and services as well. So I'm really looking forward to see how partners take that on and, uh, and grow that kind of offering within their ecosystem. So um, now I'd like to just kind of walk straight into the show. With, uh, I've got Scott Hillier who's been helping uh, me a lot recently with uh, recording some Microsoft Virtual Academy training, which will be out very shortly, around kind of developing on top of the Office 365 platform. And uh, he's been w- around the, the tracks for a long time in the SharePoint world, and um, we've got some samples coming out in the next few weeks, uh, which are AngularJS and ASP.NET MVC, um, that really push the boundaries of the new Office 365 API. So keep an eye out for that on blogs.office.com, but in the meantime, um, enjoy the interview that I did with him uh, a few weeks ago. Okay, so I'm here with uh, Scott Hillier today. We're, um, we've just wrapped up from a Microsoft Virtual Academy uh, double back module training on Office 365 development. So uh, thanks for spending more time with me today to record this pod show. Um, how have you been, Scott? Good, good. Happy to, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, uh, we've managed to find a quiet room. So I know some of the other podcasts we've done in the, in the past have been in coffee shops and hotel foyers. We had some feedback that better to you know, do these things in a more quiet environment, so we'll see what feedback we get from this. Um, so tell everyone a little bit about yourself, Scott. How, how would how people have bumped into you in the past, and then how have you got to grips with this, this field in, from a development perspective? Yeah, so um, let's see, for about uh, the last 11 years or so, I've really done nothing but SharePoint. So I got involved with SharePoint around uh, 2002 and uh, wrote my first book on SharePoint back then that got published in 2003. And I really don't do anything day in and day out except SharePoint. So lots of SharePoint development, uh, lots of SharePoint firefighting for customers, that kind of thing. And I spend about uh, maybe about 25, 30% of my time these days standing in front of a group doing uh, developer training and about 70% of my time actually doing real project work. So it's a nice mix of the kind of theoretical and practical, right? Because, yeah. you know, if you're in a classroom, you got to explain everything, right. even if you haven't touched it recently. And if you're on a project, you typically tend to go very deep on just a couple of things, right? So right. I, I find they work well together in terms of making the training better from the experience you have in the field and making the field better from constantly having to review the entire product in front of a class. Yeah, I always remember when I did computer science at uni in England and um, you know the lecturers would stand up there at the front and they'd talk to you about the industry and how you know the lessons they've learned and then you find out later on they've never actually been in the industry and they've <laughs> yes, been in right. academia their entire life right right and then sure. you know you're, you're six months into your first job and you're like this guy knew absolutely nothing about the real world yeah well i'm always joking that the demo works great in the classroom right yeah so right. It's, it's what happens when you when you actually try to implement yeah. it prod right. it a little bit harder and see yeah. what see how it reacts that's where you earn your stripes for yeah. sure yeah I, I must admit with me now being um, more on the, the product management side of the house, kind of keeping in the weeds is going to be a bit more of a challenge for me, and that's why kind of making sure my network's big and getting the feedback from others is going to be really important. So, yeah, that's right. So you, you spend more of your time in Outlook now. Yeah, more in Outlook <laughs> and PowerPoint, I guess. I do spend a fair amount of time in Visual Studio poking, but, yeah, not enough in the, the, the rest of the community are doing, so that's why it's good to kind of 
have these podcasts and hear right from the field on what's going on out there in the right. in real world projects. There's certainly plenty to learn. That's for yeah. Sure. Uh, there's no end of learning. I think that's the good thing about it. I mean, you hear a lot of people going, "Oh, it's changed too much and it's too much to learn," but I think that's half the reason that the majority of us are actually in this field in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Curious people for sure. Yeah. So um, you mentioned books um, in the MBA, the Microsoft Virtual Academy. Uh, in the MBA training we did this morning on your About Me slide, it said how many numbers of books you'd uh, written. Um, how many books to date have you got published? Yeah, so the exact number, frankly, escapes me a little bit, but it's right around 20 if you count all the books I've either authored, co-authored, uh, probably could throw in a couple of DVDs that happened you wow. know, over time. Yeah. But um, I've been on a pace of doing you know, an average of one a year. I mean, typically they come out have traditionally come out when SharePoint ships, but yeah, but yeah, it's uh, it's got to be close to twenty at this point. Yeah, I must admit, I I was joking with who was it the other day? I was Andrew Connell. I was joking with him, saying you know like they're mighty good monitor stands, and, you know like <laughs> after four years they really kind of lose lose their edge a bit in terms of the yeah. The well, and the whole publishing industry has changed. Right. You know, like a lot of things on the internet. That's probably a great topic for uh, for another day, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my, the uh, what publishers are looking for, the speed at which things come out, whether or not they're in paper, or, you know, that industry is changing an awful lot. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think think you know the pod show, but the, obviously I've got to make sure they kind of release at the right cadence because I've had a few in the past. I've recorded them and they've been out of date by the time they've actually been shipped. So, yeah, there you go. You know, if a book is being written and authored and going for all the checks and balances where it gets shipped, you know, half the time it's too late by the time it's gone out the door. Yeah, you definitely have to be more fleet these yeah. days. No, I t- total respect to you guys. I, I tried uh, last year to get on a book as a one of, an author with about four other authors, and um, I just I couldn't get my mind into it. I could, <laughs> I would, I'd go home and I'd sit in front of my computer and um, I'd start writing the chapter, right. and then I'd get distracted and I'd be like, I'd just write this blog post, and the blog post would just fly out. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then I'd try and focus on a chapter and just, for whatever reason, just kind of got writer's block. So yeah, that's I totally, totally admire the, the, the engine that you guys have to be able to do what you do. Yeah, yeah we'll see how, how long that, that, that skill is still valid. Yeah, right. things are going. I, I suspect your blogging skill is worth more at this point. <laughs> but, uh. um, so, I mean, I've, I've known you for a long time, whether it be through training or the books you've written as well. Uh, but I must admit, I was at the SharePoint conference uh, this year, and obviously it was a big big year for a lot of people, I include myself with the transition over to Microsoft, but attending uh, your sessions around the JavaScript frameworks, uh, really kind of, you could see a lot of people in the room asking a lot of questions, some of it out of like concern that they're just so far behind uh, with their knowledge of JavaScript frameworks because they've been so focused um, at building either VSTO add-ins for Office or com add-ins or maybe they've been doing full trust code with SharePoint and they've been in a managed code sure. world. C Sharp, VB.net, and they've not really got to grips with the client side. Right. Um, is that something you've seen outside of that? That kind of where you've pitched that session? Yeah. Well, I think when you th- when you look at the, sh- the state of the SharePoint community, I mean, it's certainly not true for everyone, but it's true for a lot of folks. Is that over the last decade, SharePoint has really been a very specialized knowledge, right? So when you become a SharePoint developer, I like to say, pe- you know, people take you sort of into a dark room and they show you all the little secrets and they give you the code and the secret handshake and all that stuff. And that skill you're learning is, you know, it's important obviously for, sh- for SharePoint development, but it's not translatable to a lot of other things because SharePoint is so specific in what you had to do. Right. So there was a certain luxury that we had over the last decade to sort of ignore 
these advancements in JavaScript, right? Most SharePoint developers would use JavaScript to kind of glue some things together on the page when they, uh, when they really needed to. Um, and then it was, you know, kind of do it as quick as it can and get out, you know, that type of thing. Uh, there were some folks that were doing some significant work, um, you know, SP Services, Mark Anderson's SP Services stuff certainly comes to mind. But most SharePoint developers were really f fully focused on either, you know, the full trust code plus the things that were very specific to SharePoint. So what happened is we kind of got behind. And now as we're moving into a world where SharePoint development is becoming a lot more like the development that's being done on the web where SharePoint is looked at as a service that can be consumed, um, all of a sudden that gap really shows and it shows quickly and, and in a big way. So there is a sense of being a little bit behind. I don't think that it's unachievable to catch up primarily because, you know, hey, all these folks are smart people that were doing SharePoint development before. I just think the motivation was not necessarily there to learn how to write enterprise JavaScript code and to use the frameworks. And that's the gap that's closing right now. But I certainly see a tremendous amount of interest in people. Um, you know, Knockout and Angular are becoming common topics for yeah. discussion in the SharePoint world. And people know they have to close the gap and they're working very quickly to close the gap. So I'm, I'm seeing that change all the time. Yeah, and I think uh, we, we had Bill on the show um, two weeks ago and it, he had similar kind of patterns there as well, specifically around you know this this gap between where we've been and where we are now, and that learning curve of. And I think that just to reiterate that the strength in existing office developers and SharePoint developers is they know the platform. Right. They know you know the building blocks of lists and libraries and sites and features and app parts, web parts and workflow. It's just a different way of deploying it, but I think the, the biggest change really is the user interface aspect of, you know, writing a lot of this JavaScript code to kind of make it look and feel how how users expect things to work now in the in, in the real world. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, and in particular, you know, that brings up the top topic of single page applications and the frameworks right. that support single page applications, and. You know, one of the interesting things about the cadence of SharePoint releases in the past, that sort of three-year cycle, was when you got a new version of SharePoint, there was always some aspect of it that you felt was somewhat dated because the development for that had started three years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. And then when it reached you, you know, um, when people were interested in Ajax functionality, SharePoint was still uh, primarily post-pack. Yeah. Right. So there's always that kind of, kind of feeling like the UI maybe lagged a little bit what people were expecting. So what's really interesting about the app model and where we're going is you're free to advance that as quickly as you want. Right. So you have this whole platform now to use whatever framework is cool, whatever is new and interesting that you want to try out, and you're not limited by you know, how SharePoint was constructed over the last three years. And also the team itself now with releases that are coming more frequently are also able to take advantage of what's new and make it appear faster for us. So I think there's a, a lot of advantage uh, to that in, in that uh, we can do things more quickly, but I think it also means we have to be even more fleet in how we learn, right? We have right. to learn constantly and we have to, to be ready to move ahead. So there's a lot of interest in these new frameworks, particularly Angular, that support single page applications. and the creation of those experiences where somebody can almost feel like they're using a, a desktop application, but they're really inside of a browser. And, you yeah. know, of course, users are 
rapidly expecting that kind of functionality. So I, mean, I, I know personally that you, you, know, you are been doing a lot of deep work inside the Angular um, side of the house from a development side, but how, how did you get started in that? Was that a, like a client that kind of was requesting it or was it a training course that you needed to go away and develop and train? Like what was the, how did you get introduced into the Angular side of things? Yeah, that's interesting. I think for me, um, just because of the role I'm in where I do a lot of training or I get involved in a lot of strategic discussion, I'm, it's really important for me to be forward looking. So I'm always engaged in what I, you know, what I refer to as reading the tea leaves. And, and by that I mean I look at what you guys are doing, I look at what's going on in the world and I try to decide what's gonna be important to me you know, a year or two out and get involved with that. So I was involved in these things even before 2013 got released, just because you can sort of see where things are going. And then as it became clear what was happening with 2013, then I began to say, okay, this is where this is going to fit in. Yeah. So I think that's what it is, is just that um, the pace of change, as we all know, is very fast. And it's just important to continue to try to look ahead and to just pay attention to all kinds of resources, right? So, what, you know, what's coming out in MSDN magazine? What are people talking about in social media? And particularly to get outside your comfort zone yeah. and to make sure you're involved with other groups. Again, it's, it was so easy in the past to sort of hide inside of SharePoint and not have to worry about what the, you know, the web developers are doing, the cloud developers are doing. Um, and now I think we really need to be paying attention to, to what those guys are doing. And you'll see the synergies now. And I just think it becomes obvious, hey, that's something I should really care about. Right, right. And so what things did you do to learn Angular in particular? Was there particular courses you looked at or books? Yeah, so I'll give a shout out to Dan Walleen. A lot of your listeners will know Dan. Uh, Dan is one of the preeminent uh, experts on single page applications. Uh, I think it's also, he's also a really good topic of conversation because, you know, Dan's not a traditional SharePoint guy. Right. Right, so it shows how those folks that have not, historically been around SharePoint have a lot to teach us as SharePoint yeah. developers, right? So um, he has excellent material. Everybody knows that, that uh, he's great with that stuff. Um, the things that he puts out on YouTube, right. on Pluralsight, and, uh, and other venues um, are just outstanding resources for people to get started. Yeah, I think the first thing I ever consumed on Angular is about mm, mm, 10, 12 months ago now was his 20-minute uh, intro to Angular. Yeah. Like from like zero to uh, 100. And, yeah, superb. And, he, and it was just so concise and a good, great overview from end yeah, to end. Yeah, if, if your listeners yeah. have not watched yeah. that, uh, I, think it's, I think it's called Angular in 60-ish Minutes. Am I right that, about that? Yeah, I think no, that's right. the YouTube yeah. video. Yeah. And if your listeners haven't gone and watched that, they should go and watch it. Just put it on your list and go watch it. Yeah, it's, um, it's a good way of realizing that, wow, actually... This JavaScript stuff isn't as horrible as it used to be when, I think in 2007, you know, I dabbled in it, trying to do client-side stuff in web parts and, yeah. you know, modifying the UI. Um, yeah, and, and it was just, it was such spaghetti code, and I just, you know, went back to a, a much more managed code rendering approach and trying to do as much as I could on the back end. Right. Well, um, the yeah. other good reference I'll give you in terms of, of learning this is that it's not just about frameworks, right? I, I think I still find the biggest challenge that SharePoint developers have is they actually don't know how to properly construct enterprise JavaScript. So what they'll do, for example, is pollute the global namespace with functions. Very common mistake. Yeah. 
So you need to get a handle on JavaScript in a real enterprise way. So I'm going to recommend to your listeners that they check out um, a book called JavaScript, Only the Good Parts. <laughs> uh, and, and what's great about it is, um, I've forgotten the author. You might be able to dig it up while we're talking, but JavaScript, Only the Good Parts. And what's, what's good about that book is it sort of says, here's JavaScript, and here's a whole bunch of stuff you're never going to use. Yeah. Let's ignore that. And now let's focus on the stuff that really matters. And what you're going to learn from that are the patterns that are necessary to create enterprise JavaScript. Right. And that's really the first step. You have to know how to do that. So if you don't know how to declare a namespace yeah. or you don't know how to create a module, an anonymous function, a self-executing function, these, these critical things that go into enterprise JavaScript, you're going to be in trouble. And all that is really necessary to understand the frameworks because right. they're based on all that stuff. Yeah, and that's what's amazing. I mean, just look that up now. It's uh, Douglas Crockford is the author. There you go. Um, published in May of 2008. Mm -hmm. So all this criticism or perception, I would say, around JavaScript, you know, these, these frameworks like Angular and Knockout and all those other ones have all been built on that same kind of fundamentals of JavaScript. It's you just bet. they've... They've really just kind of added a layer of, uh, they've taken away a layer of complexity and kind of dumbed it down for the average dev. But I think you're right, you, you do need to know the underpinnings of it to understand it. Yeah, it's critical. Uh, when, when you're doing kind of full scale apps like that. Yeah, it's critical. And yeah. then of course, there's all sorts of related things that go along with it. I mean, we could spend a whole bunch of time talking about Bootstrap, you know, mm -hmm. which is a classic fit in with Angular uh, to support uh, mobile first, you know, responsive applications. And then if you just look at the sheer number of third-party libraries that are out there, yeah. there's just gobs of them everywhere. And everybody kind of has their favorite, right? Yeah. But, but for your listeners, I mean, I would recommend uh, Knockout, Angular, Bootstrap, and of course jQuery uh, goes in with the whole thing. So, so that's kind of the family of things that I would focus my attention on. I mean, admittedly, there's others like Ember that people love, and, and right. that's great. It's great if they do, but, you yeah. know, if you're sort of looking for a place to get started, you could do a lot worse than those libraries. And, and what, what kind of thought process do you go through when you're, like if you need a library that maybe isn't inside those three you've mentioned, like what, what kind of process do you go through to validate whether this is a good pick for your application? Yeah, I think there's a lot of good reviews of the libraries that are out there. And again, if you if you sort of poke your head outside the SharePoint community into yeah. the, you know, the web developer world, this is their bread and butter trying to figure out right. exactly which libraries are worth spending time on. And you can, you know, you can follow people on Twitter. You know, start, hey, start by following Dan on Twitter, right. and he's going to publish a lot of stuff yeah. about these libraries that he likes, and then you're going to intersect with other people doing the same work, that kind of thing. So I think, yeah. I think the social media is really useful there in figuring out which libraries matter and sort of getting you know, uh, uh, the community vote, if you right, will, right. on what's working and what's not. Yeah, because I think some concerns have been, well, you know, how long are these frameworks going to last for? Or are they, you know, have they been used enterprise? Have they been tested and validated? Because you see a lot of things never ever make sure. it to a V1. Sure. You know, there's zero point, whatever it is, for many yep. years. So, Well, and some of these key frameworks that we're talking about, they have backing from major organizations, right? right? So so Microsoft's involved, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Google might be involved, and right, and so in these cases, you're going to see backing from organizations that care very much about the success of these libraries, or they're using them themselves, like Twitter Bootstrap, right? Yeah. So they're using them themselves, which, you know, that gives you a little bit more feeling that it's going to be around for a while, that it was done correctly, right? So that's a good way to start. But uh, 
you know, there are certainly lots and lots of libraries where somebody you don't even know has made them. And, you know, you might be right to say, well, is this something that I should be using? But I would typically say, though, that those types of libraries that are maybe, you know, found on Codeplex or GitHub and they're made by, you know, another dev, that kind of thing, they typically are much smaller in scope. Right. And so your risk level is lower because yeah. you're not saying it's a framework I'm going to base my entire application on. You're yeah. saying, oh, this is kind of a neat little thing that makes it easier for me to make an Ajax call or makes it easier for me to, you know, show a... Uh, show a pop-up dialogue, you know, like toaster, that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. and you say, yeah, you know, my risk here is really small, so I'm going to give it a try on this app and see how it works, right? right. Now, that makes sense. And then, uh, I guess, moving, you know, a bit deeper into the Angular side, um, you know, the, the whole single-page app scenario, What this trend seems to have come around in the last year or so, of a yeah, real drive sure. around that. What things have you seen that have kind of driven that approach of thinking more of a, sing a SPA or single-page app? Yeah, I think the single-page application has really just become popular because um, of the end-user experience, and you're seeing just big presences, you know, big, some organizations with big presence on the Internet are driving this UI, and then what happens is the, the applications that people are using commonly, you know, social media applications, the old Twitters, the Facebooks, all that stuff, as they begin to provide this experience to people, then they begin to expect that experience, right? So as I go to, uh, you know, as I go to a, an e-commerce site and I'm able to update my shopping cart without blink, 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 you know, and I can drag and drop things into it and I'm getting this type of experience, I think what it does is it raises user expectations. Right. And similarly, um, developers don't live in a vacuum, so we go and we have those same experiences right. and we go, wow, that's neat. Yeah. And I want to be able to give that to people. So yeah. I think... I think just the whole industry is kind of advancing along those lines, and that's really what's driving it. And I think a lot of enterprise organizations used to fall on the rich clients, like 32-bit installs on a desktop machine to kind of do that in the past. Sure. Whereas now I think the web technology is making that a lot easier, all the controls you can get. And, yep. And, um, well, and if you buy the argument that all development is really moving to client over HTTP, then once you're committed to that idea, then your next logical thing is to try to make that experience as rewarding as possible, as smooth as possible, to have as few friction points, and, and that sort of gets you to the spa idea. Right. And then with your consultancy work, with the, like the tooling, do you, when you're working with teams maybe, is there any particular things that you, you, like, you must have on your machines as part of the experience? Is there anything, any kind of tidbits of help you could kind of point to here? Yeah, so one of the things that I think is still remains still a challenge, right? If you, if you think about all these frameworks, so you can say single-page application, sure, but also um, Angular is a model view controller framework, right? It's an MVC framework. And so if you think about uh, model view controller uh, based on JavaScript, as it is in Angular, and then think about model view controller based on C-sharp as it is in MVC5, right? Yeah. There is a significant difference in the tooling experience that you get with an Angular-based project than when you get with MVC5, right? Right, right. So um, frameworks really, really come to life. They, they reach a point where developers can be very productive with them only when you have matching tools. Yeah. And that's why MVC5 is such a fantastic product because Visual Studio gives you scaffolding, wizards. It allows you to be very productive and to generate quickly. And so, you know, one of my, one of my personal dreams is to have the same kind of tooling for Angular. 
I would love to be able to right-click my project and say, make me an Angular controller and you know, have this show up. And I've, I've personally fooled around with a little bit of that. I have a couple of you know, sort of half-baked projects I work on where I can right-click a, a, a solution and generate an Angular controller. Wow. But, okay. Well, but like a lot of us, you know, yes, my right. life is not product development, so it's <laughs> difficult to sort of get that past the proof-of-concept stage. But my point in drawing it out is, is that you can see the difference, right? Yeah. And and developers would would have a much easier time adopting these frameworks if they had the kind of tooling that MVC five has. So, um, the the tooling is not where you want it to be. It means that you do have to write a little bit more by hand. I tend to use a lot of snippets because that's sort of the fallback position, right? Yeah. So I have a controller snippet, that kind okay. of thing that I use. That gets me started. So that kind of injects a bunch of code in, and then you type gives the you a starting name point, and it right? Fills out some of the yeah, it gives you notes. kind of a starting point, right? Yeah. Um, but along with that, of course, um, NuGet is is a must because all of these libraries and frameworks are available in NuGet, so it's very easy to go search for them and at least get the fundamentals installed in your application by managing NuGet package and right. searching. You can find Knockout and Angular in NuGet pretty easily, and uh, Lastly, I would say um, things like GitHub or TFS are really critical when you're working with teams uh, because remember the point of this entire thing is it's an enterprise application. So this isn't your father's JavaScript where you're just gluing some stuff together. You're trying to build something that is scalable, that can manage thousands of users, right? So, and it's uh, also testable, right? We right. need it to be testable, it's very important. So in that kind of scenario, you really need something like a GitHub, a TFS, or whatever that we're all working inside of and that we can have proper builds from and that we can have proper test environments in. Yeah. So, oh, that's my basic tool set that I'm yeah, using. That makes sense. The, the NuGet ones, it, again, it's another area of where SharePoint developers in the past already hadn't had the focus. Right. Like I've seen a lot of web developers come into the Office 365 world now and they, they live in, inside NuGet packages and yep. they understand all that. A lot of um, what's been done in the Office 365 API world right now, um, those that are actually being delivered by NuGet packages. And right. When you go in and add the Office 365 preview from the tools extensions, um, that's actually calling and pulling down those things via NuGet. Um, and then when you open up your projects, you can go and update the NuGet packages when you do your builds, and that's what's pulling from the web the latest yep. bits and pieces. And a lot of people don't realize that. Um, one thing for the listeners, um, I'd highly recommend specifically in that scenario that you don't go and grab the NuGet packages directly from NuGet and try and add it to an existing Visual Studio project. The ones that Microsoft are releasing around Office 365 are intended for use where the Visual Studio tooling has added them. The reason that the engineers in the Visual Studio team are using NuGet is so that they can provide the updates using the NuGet That's the mechanism. key thing. I think right. that maybe if you're not familiar with NuGet, <coughs> right. you, you may not get that advantage, yeah. which is you can get updates very easily, but also super cool is you can I can ship a project to you, for example, and take the packages out. Right. And when you build it, it will go it pull the packages. It so it's just yeah. that's just such a nice way to right. be able to manage your project and make sure that all the dependencies are taken care yeah. of. And it's often you know the amount of times where I've been sent something and you try an F five on it and right. nothing's there and right. what, what, what's this dot, 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 dot DLL or something? Yep. You know the new gets will, will basically spin out exactly where you got to get what from where and pull it down. So. Yep. Yeah, NuGet's kind of definitely a good way to go. No, it's, it's, um, it's a must. Yeah, and I'm seeing a lot of internal organizations using it for their own common libraries as well now. Yep. So if they've got common libraries across, you know, 100-odd solutions, 
they're using they get as that way to distribute their own frameworks yeah, that's as great. well, which is useful. Yeah, cool. So that 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 those toolings, it's interesting. Everyone I've asked so far has given me different answers. So it's hopefully it's giving our listeners a good understanding about the different things that are available to help with development. Well, and it draws out the fact that you know when you're within SharePoint over the last ten years, we all would have given the same answers because oh, the scope absolutely. is smaller, right? Yeah, it would have been like WSP Builder, exactly. Site Manager. Thank you, Costin Koopman, for saving me hours of time <laughs> back in the 2007 days for sure. Yeah, exactly. But now yeah. we've opened up the whole world, right. so yeah. you know there's a there's a certain art involved in this. How you want to work, how you you know how you develop, yeah. and people are going to have different favorites. But one thing I tell everybody, and, and I think this is a key takeaway, is because there are so many choices, if you're running a team that's trying to create enterprise applications, you need to make decisions about the tool set and frameworks you're going to use. You can't leave it to the point where each developer can choose what they Absolutely. want to use, right? Yeah. So, so it's okay to listen to the team and try to pick the best ones, do some proofs of concept, things like that, judge where your people are, what you want to train them to do. Yeah. But ultimately, the team should standardize on a framework and set of tools that they're going to use so that that code is maintainable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people mock the whole developer guidelines. And, you know, I remember going in one place and there was a team lead, team lead with four of us. There were 60 developers and the, the dev guidelines was 70 pages. Wow. Right. And I'm like, wow, how long did this take? And, you know, what the hell? Why? So, you know, no one's going to read it. You know, it basically right. became a good one in the stand. You know, three guidelines was a good height for me when I was doing my work. Sure. Right. Um, so there is a good balance between, you know, making it so that there absolutely needs to be standardization and there are checks in place to, if a new framework's introduced, that it has gone through some kind of rigor before, right. you know, just a junior dev goes in and starts using moment.js to handle oh, exactly or, or even just I mean if you think about um, you know two, two things that are both worthy jQuery and Angular right? right so when we go to make an Ajax call are you using the HTTP service from Angular or are you using jQuery Ajax right that, that's those are really important things because it goes to the maintainability of yeah. what you're creating even though both are valid both are strong right. both are supported Making that choice will mean that you have consistency across yeah. what it is. Uh, that you and do. I came across one, and this was partly due to me kind of finding stuff on the web and not realizing it was the same thing around the promises and the dollar queue versus you know the other approaches of sure. promises, right? right? So having that consistency in your code is is really important as you're kind of jumping in and trying to have some kind of formality and standards as you're looking across your code yeah. base. Yeah, so I kind of push, especially the folks that are in charge of the development teams, I sort of push on them to step back and review those standards, right? And we could go over a lot of those things all the way back to what browsers are you supporting? Right. I, I ask people that, you know, they come to learn development and I ask them what browsers are you supporting and sometimes they just scratch their head. Yeah, right. right? So the browser is now our main development platform. Yeah. It's pretty important to know which one and I think it gives the development business side of the house reason to push on IT and say, hey, maybe it's time to get off of IE8 right, so we right. can actually do some things yeah. for you, right? So I don't hear a lot of people asking that very interesting question. Yeah. What is our standard and why is that our standard? S and do you, an, yeah. you know, do you realize what we're losing by not right. supporting HTML5 or what have you? Such so. an important thing to do when you're a consultant and you walk in the door at a customer as well. So it should almost be the first thing you ask before you go away and start coding. There's right? a lot of strategic yeah. questions now yeah. that we're not typically used to asking as yeah. SharePoint developers and because yeah. there are so many choices. Yeah. I think one last thing I think the listeners will find very useful is 
you know, obviously you have to keep up with the news with the stuff that you're doing strategically with your customers. So what channels or tools do you use to kind of keep on the pulse of where things are going? Like how do you, how regularly do you read up about these things as well as doing your normal day-to-day work? Yeah, so for me, I find the best inputs are, um, you know, if I want to know specific Microsoft stuff, then, you know, I, I read MSDN Magazine cover to cover. Now, it's interesting, I used to not do that so much. Yeah. Right? Because a lot of the material it in there. There's never SharePoint, right? There you go. There'd yeah. be a few articles, right? Yeah. But now I find I'm reading it cover to cover, and I'm reading stuff that I'm not sure whether I'm supposed to care about, but I read it anyway. Yeah. So when there's an article on Katana, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to care about Katana yet, but I read it, right? Yeah. And I go, oh, okay, I see what you can do. And I sit back and I think, you know, should I be doing that than, than what I'm doing? You know, where would that fit if I tried to do it? And I just sort of ponder that for a while. So I think it's important to read outside of what it is that you're doing. And, and just, you know, a simple thing for folks listening to this to do is to read MSDN Magazine cover to cover. Yeah. Um, I also, I follow key people in social media who I know are going to be, you know, sending out links to some of this key stuff. Yeah. And um, every day, usually at the end of the day, I'll just go kind of top to bottom in the Twitter feed and try to find those elements where people are, are tweeting out things that I haven't heard of yet. Okay. And then I go read those articles and I try to decide if they're in or they're out. And if I find something that's in, then I'll start to dig deeper, right? So right. what is that? Where's the homepage for that? You yeah. know, should I care about it? So. Um, I rely a lot on social media to sort of uh, throw a bunch of stuff in the hopper that I can shake and sure. you know see if there's any gold nuggets in there, and uh, you know then of course there's there's some key blogs you need to be tied into. I mean we we live in a Microsoft world and SharePoint is important to us. So sure. you know if you're not looking at the at the team blogs for uh, for information, I think you're missing things. And so I'm going to ask you and put you on the spot. Who do you who which are the key bloggers and key social guys that you see out there? Yeah, so um, I, f- I follow a large majority of, uh, of MP- MVPs who are always giving yeah. me good stuff. So um, Andrew Connell, uh, I think, has a very active blog. He's doing a great job. I follow, I follow you. Oh, I, find, I, f- I find that you tweet a lot of stuff that, that's, a privilege. Uh, that's worth looking at, so I do follow your stuff. Um, uh, I follow, I find that Mark Anderson, you know, he's yeah. the SP Services guy. I find that Mark Anderson actually does a lot of filtering for me. Yeah. So when he retweets something, I usually care. Yeah. You know, so it's interesting. I almost feel like I got him working for me and he doesn't know it, right? Yeah, that's right. Because t- he tends to do that, filter <laughs> a lot of things himself and then send out what he thinks is cool. Yeah. Um, I already told you I follow uh, Dan Walleen, who, uh, who also sends out a lot of interesting stuff. And... Um, uh, Tobias Zimmergren, yep. who sends out a lot of interesting stuff as well. And there are others, and I probably forgot a bunch of people who I really should be mentioning. But Yeah, I'm sure they're crying at well as yeah. they're driving to work now. <laughs> yeah, Scott sure, didn't Scott didn't me. mention me. But, you know, Sorry to put you on the spot. Well, you gave me your top five, so good. there you go. you got a five. Those are all good choices, even if I yeah. miss somebody who's Well, they would definitely all be in my uh, at least top ten there. Um, I guess, uh, you know, everyone's got their own flavors on what they're interested in. Um, it's interesting with the, the Twitter sphere and people adopting it in different ways. But for me, I've always done it as a, you know, whatever I read, if I find of interest, I'm going to tweet out that link. Yep. Um, and, I, and there's lots of great people, and the ones you've mentioned are, are spot on with it, where it is just valuable to see what pe- other people think is relevant. And, it's amazing that people yeah. can do that for you. 
I mean, if, yeah, if totally you were right. if you were writing code, yeah, you know, anywhere before 1995, <laughs> yeah. it, it's just amazing yeah. the value of information that that you can get from these sources, right? I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I I wonder how we wrote code, you know, before we could do all just this. with textbooks, right? Yeah, right. I remember that, and again, I wasn't coding. Well, actually, no, I was coding '95, but it would have been <laughs> kind of very early days for me. But I remember buying a JavaScript book. Oh, sorry, Java book for university. And uh, I typed out this code sample in Notepad, and this was before university showed me that there was this thing called JBuilder. <laughs> yes. And try to get it compiled. Wouldn't bloody compile for the life of me. Yeah. And uh, spent ages on it. Went to a bunch of students, and no one was like, no, that looks like you've typed it right. I understand what's wrong, what's wrong. And anyway, the... Um, the L's and the I's and the font in this textbook. Oh yeah, sure. Were the same. Sure. And so I didn't realize, oh. and the way that they were writing all their code was very condensed. Yes. Like, uh, vocab names and. Right. So I was putting something as an L that was meant yeah. to be a capital I, and of course all my code didn't compile. Yeah. Now you know, copying and pasting that from the book that was online. The, right. Or you needed to, to look at it in like comic font or right, something right. so you could tell the difference. So, you know, th those <laughs> days of old are definitely gone. It's certainly yeah. a lot of, I mean, there's a, it has its own challenges now, grabbing code from people's websites, but um, yeah. at least there's ways of engaging. I, I should also point out, you know, that a, a lot of folks will follow me and you'll end up in these conversations with people about some of this stuff. And you don't have to be a big name to produce things of value. I mean, I've right. had I've had people just kind of say to me, "Hey, Scott, have you thought about this?" And I just go, well, "That's brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant." And I go, "Hey, hey, you're going to put that out there?" And they go, "Ah, you know, I don't blog. Can I yeah. blog that for you? Because right, right. it's brilliant. You know, yeah. that kind of stuff." So the community as a whole is really just a treasure trove of, of yeah. good ideas. I know. I mean, I used to run nothing but SharePoint.com, but with me transitioning to this role. Uh, there's only so much bandwidth I have to run the community stuff now. Yep. Um, but uh, IT Unity has come along really strong as a, a definitely, a, well, above and beyond a replacement, really, just because of the nature of sure. the people such as yourself and that involved. Right, so you that. know that, that uh, Andrew Connell, Dan Holm, and myself are, are involved right. heavily in that, and yeah. I've been doing a lot of writing up there. So yeah. we're hoping that, that, that we can create a real centralized right. place. Yeah, I mean, for the, you know, nothing but SharePoint was always like, well, I don't have my own blog. You know, people used to post there. But now, you know, if you don't have your own blog, IT Unity is definitely the right place to go and uh, reach out to these guys and get your content on there as well, too. Yeah, yeah, we think it's a good spot. We're yeah. uh, working hard on it every day. And, and one tool from a, the Twitter side of the house, which a lot of people don't know about, is topsy.com, uh, T-O-P-S-Y.com. You can actually put in, like, Office 365 and, uh, or SharePoint or SharePoint Dev. And what it does is it, it um, lists tweets with those mentions in it, but they've been retweeted or favorited, so you can get the popularity. But it only shows the ones with links in them. So if every day, like I go in and I see what the most popular ten tweets were for today, using those tags, so I can see what what's been retweeted the most. Right. So it's another way of like socially grabbing the yeah, most that's important great. things for the day. Right. Yeah, that's um, sort of shaking the hopper. Pretty, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. It's yeah. good. So well, again, we were, we've um, come up to time now. So I really appreciate it. I could sit here for hours and and then grill you on various different topics, and um, we'll definitely get you back on the show because you are a fountain of uh, of knowledge there in terms of this <laughs> space. So I appreciate you sitting down with me today. No, it's great to be here. Thanks and, um, for having me. So we can get get you on uh, shillier.net? Com. Dot com. Right, right. So you can find yeah. my blog at www.shillier.com. And the Twitter is at Scott Hillier, Scott with one T, yeah. Hillier with two L's. 
And uh, conference-wise, where can we see you in the next few months? Are you doing anything coming up? Yeah, I've got uh, Dev Connections coming up at the Aria Hotel in Las Vegas. Uh, that's in September. In November, I'll be headed out to uh, Amsterdam uh, to do SharePoint Connect. All right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we've got a couple of things coming up in uh, in the future. Cool. All right. Well, um, enjoy your travels. I know you, you you're traveling more than I am more recently. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope to have a little downtime in the summer here. Yeah. So. And um, well, we're good to, good to have you on the show, and hopefully we'll get you on here soon. Great. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of your Office 365 developer needs. All the links from the show are in the blog post on blogs.office.com WACDEV, where you can find the latest news about Office 365. If you have any ideas for new shows or questions for us, please join us in our Yammer group in the Office 365 Technical Network. Have a great week, guys, and keep coding on Office 365.